You're listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast with Dr. Cameron Marshall. Ask Concussion Doc is a show where we answer your questions about concussions, treatment, and rehabilitation to help practitioners better manage these injuries. Enjoy the show. This episode is brought to you by the Complete Concussion Management Clinical Network. Are you suffering from a concussion? Concussion symptoms that just aren't getting better? Maybe you're in the wrong place. Maybe you're seeing the wrong healthcare professional. Visit completeconcussions.com slash find dash a dash clinic to find all of the local professionally trained concussion clinicians in your area. Each of our partnered clinics have gone through extensive training on concussion assessment, diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation, and will be able to quickly determine the root cause of your symptoms and work with you to develop a plan to get rid of them. If you don't know what's driving your symptoms, you can't ever hope to relieve them. Completeconcussions.com slash find a clinic. They have a 98% patient satisfaction rating and the net promoter score as judged by real patients is higher than Amazon, Netflix, and Apple. Completeconcussions.com slash find dash a dash clinic. You won't regret it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Ask Concussion Doc, episode number 71. Um, this episode, we've decided to do a Q&A. Uh, we had a bunch of questions come in, like literally a ton of questions, uh, too much for me to get through for sure. But um, I've taken a few of them. I tried to look for common themes that were distributed throughout, and, um, and I'll get into them. First thing though, before I get started, is I'd like to make an announcement. Uh, this week we're actually launching a free concussion workshop series that is designed to teach clinicians how to effectively manage patients with persistent concussion symptoms. Persistent concussion symptoms obviously are the most questions I get. These patients are the most difficult ones to treat because there's often a whole bunch of stuff going on. Um, this particular workshop is going to dive into my concussion algorithm. So something I've put together over the past eight years of being uh, a concussion researcher and a concussion clinician specializing in the treatment of patients with chronic and complex concussion symptoms. So this is literally my roadmap, my tools that I've put together over eight years of research that were kind of constantly evolving, constantly um, refining and everything like that. The last time we updated it was August. So I mean, it gets updated very, very regularly as new research emerges. So it's designed to be a roadmap to help clinicians, particularly on the rehab front, take a patient from not knowing what's going on and bring them through the proper steps and strategies to arrive at an accurate representation of what's driving their underlying symptoms. There's a few main causes of persistent concussion symptoms. And this particular workshop is designed to help rehab professionals understand the nuance that goes into this and be able to accurately arrive at the right diagnosis. If you don't know what's driving somebody's symptoms, it's going to be very difficult for you to be able to apply treatment effectively. And I think that's what uh, is the biggest problem when it comes to concussions and concussion management is that many people don't know how to uh, properly assess a patient with ongoing and chronic concussion symptoms. And this workshop is designed to kind of bring you exactly that. So like I said, this thing is designed for practicing rehab professionals. 
Those that are watching right now live, if you want to have early access to this workshop series, just send me a DM and I'll send you the link directly. Those people that are uh, watching this on YouTube or listening to this on a podcast, uh, just look for the link. We're going to put the link right in the show notes for both the YouTube videos as well as into the uh, into the show notes for the podcast. So if you're listening to this or watching it on YouTube or on a podcast, just click on the link there and there's going to be a registration portal. We're going to try and do a number of different show times uh, throughout the next few weeks and uh, potentially more depending on, on the feedback that we get. Uh, usually these things are pretty well received. Uh, like I said, it's going to be heavy on the rehab front, but it's going to be you know, my exact tools. It's going to be very content heavy uh, and a lot of research. So those that are looking to kind of further their concussion knowledge and are interested in really kind of diving into the concussion literature and the research around it, uh, definitely something for you guys to uh, to check out. So without further ado, let's get into the questions. Uh, I have some questions here that I've gotten for people to send in, but uh, let's answer some live ones here if we got any. Okay, post-concussion disorder, that's pretty general. That'll take me all day. Um, hyperacusis. So this one's a weird one. There's no real... Um, there's no real solid treatments for hyperacusis uh, except for exposure. Like most things with concussion, you want to increase your tolerance for certain things. So for example, if you get dizzy in crowded environments or with motion, generally the treatment is trying to reproduce that sensation of dizziness in motion and trying to actually um, put you in situations that challenge you in that way. So something like hyperacusis, for those that don't know, is hypersensitivity to, to sound. You, you know, you get um, sound sensitivity essentially um, and, and you know, sometimes that's associated with pain and some other things. So um, generally it's, it's exposure to that type of, of environment. So gradually exposing yourself to louder and louder um, noises. It can resolve. Sometimes it will resolve spontaneously, but generally it's a time thing. It just takes time. It's one of those things that can sometimes be the last thing to actually ever go away. Um, so it's a tough one. Uh, binasal occlusion. I'm not sure if that's a question or just a comment. Uh, I'm going to break into some of the ones we got sent. There was a lot of questions on hyperbaric oxygen. I've covered this in the past, but I'll cover it again. Um, hyperbaric oxygen has actually a lot of research that's been done on it and most of that research points towards the fact that hyperbaric oxygen is not effective for the treatment of persistent concussion symptoms. It's actually no better than a placebo or sham treatment. So some of the studies that have been done on hyperbaric that have showed positive outcomes are actually quite flawed in the way that they were designed. Uh, for example, they'll get a group full of they'll get a group of people with post-concussion syndrome, and the way that the study design is set up is set up in such a way that the results are not necessarily reliable. Other ways that they do the study is if they take a whole bunch of people and they put some of them in a in a hyperbaric tube and they put some of them in a tube that's not you know turned on that just has what they call surface level air. Um, they find that the results are the same thing. So uh, most of the effect of hyperbaric is considered to be a placebo, and it's actually been ruled uh, by the Ontario Neurotrauma Foundation um, at, in their in their most recent guidelines to be um, 
not um, a recommended treatment approach for people with concussion. Usually when they say that, it's because there isn't enough evidence yet. They'll say, oh, there's not enough evidence yet to support this particular type of intervention. In this particular case, when it comes to hyperbaric oxygen, there's actually a lot of research on it that shows that it is not effective. So um, I would not be looking for hyperbaric or wasting my time in trying to, uh, to go that route. Should I be taking creatine eight months after concussion injury? Um, there's no... Um, Generally, creatine supplementation is is potentially beneficial in the very acute stages, just because of its effect on 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 ATP generation, which is essentially what concussion can cause. So, in the early, very acute stages, actually, the best thing is if you're an athlete to be actually have optimal levels of creatine before the injury happens. Taking creatine eight months out, I don't think is going to do anything for your for your recovery because the pathophysiology of what's going on is different than what it is for the acute stages. In, a, in an acute concussion situation, uh, you have, an, uh, you have a, a, a massive drop in ATP levels, which creatine supplementation acts as kind of an exogenous form of ATP. So by having creatine intake, you can potentially boost your ATP. That's the theory behind it. There's been a couple promising studies in animals, not really much in terms of human research that so we don't know specifically. But when you get eight months out, the 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 ATP deficit has already resolved itself anyway, so I don't think it's going to add anything to your to your recovery um, in in going that way. That being said, there's no there's no risk of taking it. There's no real adverse effects other than some GI upset. But um, yeah, I mean it's a, it's a fairly safe supplement to take for for most people. So, um, but in terms of concussion recovery, I don't think it's going to do much for you. Okay, three months from most recent concussion, doing exercise ever since. Why am I still getting bouts of extreme fatigue? Uh, some days it comes. So I recognize you from one of the questions that actually came in. Uh, I didn't actually write it down, so you're lucky you're here. I'll do it right now. Um, so Jacqueline says that she's three months out from her most recent concussion and has been doing exercise ever since, which is great. Good for you. Uh, why am I still getting bouts of extreme fatigue? Some days it comes, some days it's not there. Fatigue is a tricky one. Uh, there's all sorts of things you have to include, like quality of sleep. You know, are you sleeping well? Um, it, like, you know, I'd have to look at a bunch of different things. Um, but a lot of times what fatigue is is related to or associated with is something called neurofatigue, where, you know, everyday activities tend to be more draining for people. So usually what I'll, I'll look at is what's your activity level? Oftentimes with concussion, even though you're, you may be exercising, you may have pulled back on certain things. And so getting back into that, uh, you kind of get out of shape in, in a way, if, if, if I can use that example. Um, let's say you're, you know, you're working every day, you get a concussion, you take some time off work, then going back to work, oftentimes it's more difficult to get back into it because essentially you haven't been working to that level for, for a long time. If you've been staying and keeping that same level of activity, then it could be some other things. Um, there's one of the things that we actually just wrote a blog on this and I covered it. I think it was episode 50 of the podcast. So, uh, those that are listening that want to learn a little bit more about it, I did a full episode on neuro fatigue. Um, and so I would just encourage you to look at that episode cause that might explain some things, but really what it comes down to, I think in most cases is that. Um, I think it's just like overactivation of, of different brain networks and pathways. Um, and a lot of that is rooted in um, um, what's called default mode interference. 
So, I mean, that's a big, heavy topic to get into, but I did a full episode on neuro fatigue on episode 50 of the podcast. So I think that might help you in getting to the answer you're looking for. If not, message me again and we'll talk. Is pregnancy a bad idea around the first six to 12 months post-concussion? Um, I don't know. I don't think there's, there's no research on that. Um, so it would be tough for me to say. I think that in patients that have you know chronic concussion issues, sometimes there can be hormone issues that happen along with that. Um, that might create some difficulties in getting pregnant just based on hormone fluctuations and, and ovulation and things like that. That might create some difficulties, but there's really no scientific evidence on this. Um, no evidence to suggest that pregnancy would increase symptoms in any way. Um, I mean, for the most part, especially first trimester, you're going to feel like shit no matter what. So is that concussion related or is that pregnancy related? It'd be really hard to kind of separate the two things. I don't think there's any risk um, other than potentially added stress, um, you know, during that situation. So, um, I mean, I can't really advise you either way on that. Uh, how frequently is sleep apnea discovered during PCS? I don't know. Um, I know that sleep difficulties in general in terms of um, just difficulty sleeping, abnormal sleep is, uh, is fairly prevalent with concussion, whether or not that's sleep apnea. I haven't seen any, uh, any data on that, so I can't really tell you how common or uncommon it is. I haven't had any patients that have discovered, newly discovered sleep apnea with, with, their, with their concussion or during their recovery. So I don't know. I would assume that it's not very common, but I don't know. Uh, fight, flight, freeze. What's that? I don't know what that is. Somebody's asking about link between concussion and hormonal problems. Um, generally concussion based on the mechanism, right? Concussion is the brain moving inside the skull, the pituitary gland, which is the main kind of hormone generator of your body. Uh, it generates your thyroid hormones, uh, your adrenal hormones, your sex hormones, your growth hormones, all these different substances are generated from this little gland inside the brain called the pituitary gland. And it hangs down from basically right between your eyes, this pituitary gland hangs down and it's encased in a, in a bony uh, kind of enclosure called the cella tersica. And what happens is that pituitary sits right in that. So if there's shearing of the brain, uh, if you can see this, basically the pituitary gland is moving inside and potentially getting sheared on impact and damaged with that. So what they're finding now is in patients with chronic concussion symptoms that aren't going away because hormones affect a number of different things and they include things like fatigue and, and fogginess and adrenals and all these different things that can get out of whack following concussion. The theory is that um, you know, maybe, the, maybe it's damaged during that, maybe it's um, you know, the recovery and the stress of recovery in patients with chronic symptoms. But anyway, they're noticing that in around you know, 15 to 30% of con chronic concussion patients uh, six months out will have some sort of hormone imbalance. So it's definitely something worth getting checked out if it's been a while. You wanna get a full hormone panel uh, and, see, and see how things are. Um, it's, worth, it's worth getting checked because there's, there's therapies for it, right? Is it true that having a concussion uh, makes you more susceptible to having another concussion? I've, again, I've covered this one before. The answer is it depends. 
The answer is it depends on how long it's been since you've had your concussion. It seems to be it's not necessarily you're more susceptible uh, to another concussion if you've had one in the past. It, but we know that during the period of recovery, there's increased vulnerability. So during that period, the idea is, or at least the, the, um, the consensus among kind of experts in the field is that you're more susceptible to injury during that period of, of recovery. But that period of recovery is from what we're talking about, the metabolic sense, which is only about three to six week period. So beyond that, uh, we haven't really found any increased susceptibility to other concussions um, uh, beyond that on that time period. So if you're six months out and you get hit again, you're not at any other increased risk to having another concussion versus anybody else who's getting hit for the first time. Um, now, there's some research that would contradict that. The problem is, again, there's flaws in that research. Um, and what I mean is that if you take a group of athletes, let's say football players, and this is where a lot of this has been, been established, um, you have to look at things like the position that player plays, their style of play, are they more aggressive, do they take more risks, do they do stupid things essentially, um, and if they're more of a risk-taking player, they're more likely to get a concussion in the first place, but if they don't change their behavior, they're also more likely to get future concussions, not because they've had one in the past, but it's because of how they play and they kind of put their body on the line. So some of the research that's been done, when you just look at overall saying players that have had concussions in the past and players that have concussions uh, or have subsequent concussions, you'll see that there's an increased risk. There's an increased association between having a, pr a previous concussion and having subsequent ones. But the problem is there's flaws in that research because we're not taking into consideration body size, style of play, um, you know, position of play, all these different things that really matter when it comes to uh, whether or not you're actually more susceptible to a concussion. Other studies that look at pure biomechanics, like the actual um, force of impact, show that there's really no association between previous concussion and subsequent concussion injuries. And so uh, I would say that the risk is is not there, and um, or we just need more research to elucidate whether or not it is. Uh... Yeah, just look, ask for a pituitary function test. You want to test all the pituitary functions or pituitary hormones. If you want to know what they are, just Google them. There's about five or six. Why can concussion symptoms come back years later and worse than previous with no current injuries? Uh, they can't. So if you're having a relapse of symptoms with no, no injury whatsoever, uh, it means that the symptoms you're experiencing are due to something else. And that's like most chronic concussion patients. Most chronic concussion symptoms are not concussion. They're not related to brain dysfunction. Uh, and actually, that's what we talk about in our workshop. And that's why concussion is actually a treatable thing. And most people don't know that. Most people look at concussion and think that it's permanent. Uh, but the reality of the situation is that concussion is treatable. You just have to figure out why the symptoms are being caused. And it's not because of brain injury, right? Concussion causes a temporary drop in energy levels in the brain. That's it. Temporary. Three to six weeks, as far as we know. After that, it's either blood flow, which is like autonomic nervous system stuff, 
uh, or like your blood vasculature and how you respond to increases in activity. Uh, it could be inflammation, it could be hormones, it could be your visual system, vestibular system, it could be your neck or psychological, meaning anxiety, depression, PTSD, all these same things look like concussion. So what you may have experienced as a concussion now might just be a generalized anxiety disorder that's causing the same symptoms. So after, after basically six weeks, it's not, it's not you know, brain injury anymore, it's something else, right? And all of those things that I just mentioned are fully treatable conditions. And that's the thing that people need to wrap their heads around when it comes to concussion. So you patients out there that are sitting there being like, I have a brain injury. No, you had a brain injury. That is past. Now you're dealing with something else. And if you can figure out what it is, you're able to treat it. But the more you hang on to that idea of, you know, this is who I am. And I, you, you adopt that sick role, which a lot of patients end up doing. Um, that's what that prevents you from being able to actually get better because Concussion recovery requires you to push beyond certain things. And if you sit back and and feel that, you know, you can't do certain things because of brain injury, it's going to actually create some some disabling things um, for you. So this person just asked, where does post-concussion syndrome fit into that? That is post-concussion syndrome. Post-concussion syndrome is chronic concussion symptoms. That's the same thing I'm talking about. So post-concussion syndrome is not brain injury, post-concussion syndrome is something else, whether or not that is, like I said, blood flow, hormones, inflammation, visual vestibular, cervicogenic, meaning the neck, or psychological. In there, you'll find your answer. Um, and it's often a combination of those particular um, subsets. So that's what you really have to figure out is, where are you in this? And that's, that's exactly what I'm talking about with this workshop, is that I'm trying to take rehab professionals through that exact thought process to say, here's what it could be. Here's the five things that it could be. And here's how I'm going to walk through each one of them to make sure I don't miss anything. And all you're doing is ruling things out, crossing them off your list, right? And this is what all of our complete concussion management clinics do. This is what we've trained them to do all the way through is to say, okay, you had a concussion. Now you have persistent concussion symptoms. What could it be? What's driving these particular symptoms and issues? And then it's just, okay, you do this test. Nope, it's not that. Rule it out. Okay, now it's over here. You do this one. No, it's not that. Okay, now it's this one. Okay, yeah, there's a little bit of that. Let's start doing this. Here's some rehab exercises and things to do for that. Okay, now it's not that. Now let's, you know, let's check over here. And so it takes you through this entire process, right? Because if you can't figure out what's actually causing the symptoms, you're never going to be able to get your patients better. And that's kind of the whole idea behind why we've launched this workshop because that is what's going to help our patients. That's what's going to be able to help our patients to get better is finding appropriate healthcare professionals in their area to actually go in and, and figure out what, what's going on. Why do you still have these symptoms? Um, so I don't have any live questions anymore yet, but if you have any, uh, I'll stick around for a bit longer. Uh, I have a couple more that came in. Um, one, this one's for from M Laz two. Uh, why does flying make headaches worse? Um, it it may and it also may not, right? So a lot of times, um, patients with concussion will have, um, you know, they'll get in a plane. Maybe they're anxious about flying. Maybe it's anxiety that might cause your headaches. They also pressurize those planes. So if there's any inflammation. Uh, increased pressure like you know how when um, you'll you know you have grandparents and even parents for some of us and even ourselves probably for some of us is 
is when, when you know it's going to rain, right? When the pressures change, you know it's going to rain. It's because your joints start to expand given the changes in pressure and that creates increased pain. So your knees get stiff, your neck gets stiff, you might get a headache because of the changes in atmospheric pressure. Well, basically a plane is changing those atmospheric pressures. And if you have some sort of inflammatory response going on, usually I find that that's neck related where you have that, if there's like inflammation in some of the joints in your neck and then you get on a plane and they pressurize the plane in certain ways, that might drive increased symptoms. But it also could be something where it's psychosomatic, psychologically mediated through anxiety and things like that. Um, it's really tough to say. There was actually just a recent, recent study published that said that there's no... Um, there's no increased risk of having ongoing or, or um, uh, worsening of condition with flying. Uh, so, and this is in the acute stages. There's also a study that was done maybe five or six years ago looking at NHL hockey players and found that those that flew within six hours or so after their injury ended up having a worse outcome. They ended up missing 30% more games than those that didn't have to fly right after their injury. So there's a couple conflicting views on it, but both of these studies are looking at the very acute stages. Once it's beyond a couple days, uh, there's no evidence to suggest that your symptoms are going to get any worse with flying. So it's probably just specific to you, right? A lot of times with concussion and a lot of our patients will say that any little symptom that comes on, I get headaches when I fly, they attribute that to being caused by concussion injury, right? That could be a whole bunch of different reasons. It's not necessarily concussion um, injury or caused by concussion. So just, you know, wrap your head around that, that it's not a lot of times this stuff is individualized, not, um, not necessarily, um, you know, sp specific to concussion itself. Uh, okay. We don't have any, anyone in New Zealand currently, uh, doing decent PCS treatment as per your approach. I'm up to my fifth TBI. Uh, can we get treatment from your clinic? Um, well, for those of you in New Zealand, uh, we have we have patients that need help. So we don't yet have a clinic in New Zealand. I know we're in talks with probably four or five clinics in New Zealand. We're trying to bring the CCMI network to New Zealand uh, because it's obviously uh, a needed thing there. Um, you actually have really decent um, healthcare in 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 in. New Zealand compared with a lot of other places in the world. Uh, I've seen some of the stuff that's come out. Some of the research that's been published from New Zealand is actually really, really good. Um, they, your, your programs are better than most. So you should be thankful for that. They actually have some decent, some decent programs there. Um, but like I said, we are talking to a few clinics to try and hopefully improve upon that and hopefully be able to help you out. I don't do any remote type of, um, you know, online stuff. Uh, I find that there's too much stuff I need to do. Like I need to put you on a treadmill. I need to do some different things and tests and it's too hard for me to do that remotely, which is the idea behind I'd rather train other people so that you can actually go in and see somebody that knows what they're doing, right? I'd rather have somebody face to face with you that can walk you through this stuff and actually put you on the treadmill and do these different things to figure out what's going on. I'd rather do that. And so I'm working on it. I hope that we'll be able to get you something very soon. If you know a really good rehab clinic, let us know because uh, we can get in touch with them and, and see if they'd be interested in, in joining up. So let me know. Okay, next one. Jonathan, uh, I'm a PT and I'm wondering what my role is with concussion. This is perfect. Um, I feel that it's mainly for vestibular issues, but you often talk about more stuff. Okay, so this is like exactly what I've been talking about. Um, this 
particular area, the whole field of concussion essentially is rehab. A lot of the research that's coming out in this space right now is showing that the best treatments for concussion are things like exercise therapy, right? Doing sub-symptom threshold exercise, using treadmill testing and things like that. Um, you know, dietary interventions. I know some PTs can do that. Some can't. It depends on your jurisdiction and area. Uh, it's a lot for Cairo. So I'm going to lump Cairo's into into this field as well, PTDC, so uh, rehabilitation professionals, uh, there's dietary interventions um, that can help with lowering inflammation. There's visual and vestibular issues. So you touched on vestibular, that's a huge component, but also the visual, the visual system and just ocular motor. And oftentimes that just requires um, proper assessment, some basic rehab that might go into it. Oftentimes you may need to refer that person to some more advanced vision rehab, but Probably about you know 85% of cases you might be able to get them better just with doing some basic vis or visual ocular motor stuff. And oftentimes the ocular motor stuff and the vestibular side of things is tied in intricately with the neck. And so when you get a concussion, there's also whiplash injuries that happen at the same time and the symptoms of whiplash and concussion are literally identical. So then it's going, okay, how do I separate whether or not this is ocular motor, visual vestibular or neck related, right? So Basically, treatment for concussion is rehabilitation. And so the people that are going to be doing this type of rehabilitation are very heavy on the PT Cairo uh, AT front, right? We often think concussion, we think, you know, MD neurologist, but really in reality, you know, prescription medication doesn't work for concussion patients. Imaging like MRIs and things like that that a physician may order are often normal and negative. So it doesn't really show you or tell you anything. Um, but really what you need is you need somebody to figure out what's causing the symptoms and then be able to provide the appropriate rehab and treatment for those symptoms. And oftentimes it's, it's PT, it's, it's Cairo, it's AT, it's people, it's OT, it's people that do rehabilitation. And I think that's something we have to wrap our heads around um, as, as, you know, concussion clinicians and as rehab professionals is that this is our space, right? So you need to familiarize yourself with this and get the tools and training and knowledge so that you can help more people. Concussion is more than vestibular. It is. There's actually, there was a study that just came out and, and in it, it said that even patients with dizziness, with concussion, with concussion related dizziness, and they're going through vestibular therapy, you would have to treat between two and four patients to have positive outcomes in one patient. That means that vestibular therapy for patients with dizziness right? Which is what vestibular is for, right? You have dizziness. People assume vestibular. You would have to treat two to four patients to get, tr to get a, a, a benefit in one, which essentially means that you're only getting 25% to 50% of patients better if you're just doing vestibular. So there's a whole other world out there for us PT, DC, AT, uh, OTs that is not even really being looked at because we're sitting here thinking vestibular. And all our patients are, are not getting the appropriate care because they're going through vestibular rehab, but guess what? It's not working, right? And the reason is because we're hammering vestibular thinking it's a vestibular problem when it's not, right? And you need the tools to be able to figure out what it, what it actually is. So for PTs, there's a whole world out there that you may not be aware of yet, but I think that it's coming and I'm trying my best to try and spread that, spread that message. So thank you for your question. What else do we got? Um... Okay, bad experience, New Zealand. Man, that surprises me actually, because New Zealand really is like ahead of the curve. I'm telling you guys right now that you guys should feel thankful for being in New Zealand because 
like they have it, they're doing things like the right way from a public health care perspective. Like can, in, in Canada, we have public health care, but it's like it's awful. Right. Um, which is basically why we've we've started up and tried to do this because people aren't able to get help. But uh, in New Zealand, they're actually doing some of the right things, which is great. They have rehab that's included in this stuff and things like that. So obviously uh, they still have some work to do, but um, but um, it's, it's better than most. So be thankful of that at least. Um, yes, Scotland. So the question is, do you have any clinics in the pipeline to be trained in Scotland? Um, I was speaking to people, I think it was Edinburgh. I think the guy, I think it was in Edinburgh. They had, they had four, they had four clinics that they were looking to get trained up. And, um, that was about last year. And, uh, and I haven't, they haven't reached back out to kind of go there. So maybe I'll, maybe I'll follow up with them. Um, I know Allison, you've been asking questions for, for a while, so I'll, uh, I'll try to follow up for you. Uh, okay. I'll maybe take, I'll maybe look at one more here. Um, next one is, is chiropractic treatment safe for concussion patients? The answer is yes. Chiropractic treatment is safe for concussion patients. There's no real, you know, risk to, to concussion itself. And in fact, it's one of, I find the most helpful tools, especially if there is that cervicogenic component, sometimes manipulation of the joints in the neck can be very, very effective. I know that I am a chiropractor. So I know that a lot of times patients that, that come in to see me have been through, um, various things. They've been going and getting massages and things like that. They may have figured out that there's some issues with their neck that might be driving their symptoms. Your neck tells you a lot about where you are in space, right? Right? And so if there's, there's inflammation in some of the joints or things aren't moving quite right, it's going to give you an altered perception of where you are. And so oftentimes patients with neck disorders will feel kind of dizzy and off balance and also they'll get headaches. Um, and if you do like a massage, you might get that temporary relief because you're able to get in there and treat the muscles and stuff. So you get that temporary relief, but then everything just tightens back up again. That usually means like if you're getting relief with, with massage, uh, and like muscle work, but then it just comes back a few days later. That usually means that there's an underlying joint problem and the joints actually what's causing the muscles to tighten up again. So somebody goes in there and works out the muscles. You feel great. Two days later, everything tightens back up again and it's back. Usually that means you need to get some neck work done. Um, and chiropractic manipulation is, is, can be very effective uh, for that. I would find the right type of chiro though. Chiropractic is very different in how, and how we practice. There's some chiropractors that will only manipulate, um, I would say avoid that. Uh, if somebody's trying to take x-rays of your neck, you're probably in the wrong place um, because x-rays are not going to tell you anything. It's just you know usually a way to get you in for 100 treatments and a $6,000 treatment plan. But what I would look for is somebody that does acupuncture, somebody that does rehabilitation, somebody that does soft tissue work, somebody that you know does actual manual manipulation. Look for somebody that's more well-rounded in that and not just crack, 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 crack. Um, and not somebody that's trying to take x-rays of your neck. They'll try to convince you that, well, we need to see what's going on. Uh, that's actually uh, bullshit. Um, so sorry for my fellow Kairos out there. It's, it's shit. So um, find somebody who's good and it can be very, very safe. I mean, there's obviously there's risks to any type of treatment, but the risk is actually uh, much lower than even taking over-the-counter Tylenol uh, for headaches. The, the risk is actually so extremely safe um, that, it's, that it's ridiculous. But there are obviously risks for... Um, for that uh, people just giving me the love thanks guys okay so that's it for me 
Um, I, I really like this format. You guys like this format? Should I do this more? Um, I think that uh, it's kind of interesting to get like real time question and answer feedback. I know a lot of you are in areas where you can't find help. We're doing our best to find, you know, clinics and get people up and running and give them the appropriate training. I mean, the training program for us is 40 hours long. Um, just on the initial training, plus that includes now yet we have monthly research updates they have to keep up with it, plus we have clinical tools and stuff like that that we give them. Um, and then every year they have to recertify. So we're trying to keep that up to date type of stuff and really provide really good training for people. So um, it's a bit of a process. So if you guys have clinics and you're, you're a patient, you have clinics in mind that you think would be really good for um, for the network, just have them reach out to us and we'll see if their clinic is a good fit and have them start going through the training because our goal is to try and get uh, clinics everywhere. We want to be able to help patients everywhere, Scotland, New Zealand, um, you know, everywhere around the world because it's such a problem, but it's treatable as long as you know what you're doing. And that's, I think, the really uh, the, the big take home message. So for all you guys out there, that are having symptoms and aren't getting better, there is hope. Just stick with it. Keep pushing yourself every day. Uh, keep doing things that make you feel uncomfortable because really that's where the growth actually is, right? Don't hold back. Don't pull back. Push forward. Uh, and that's what's going to be able to get you better. So um, thanks, guys. If you have other questions, just submit them. Um, I'd like to do you know, more episodes like this, but I also like the questions because it gives us ideas for what to cover uh, more in depth. Uh, in terms of specific topics. So um, cheers, guys. Thanks. Whoa, wait, 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 wait. Just one more thing before you go. This episode is brought to you by the Complete Concussion Management Clinical Network. Are you suffering from concussion symptoms that just aren't getting better? Maybe you're in the wrong place. Maybe you're seeing the wrong healthcare professional. Visit completeconcussion.com slash find dash a dash clinic to find all the local professionally trained concussion rehab individuals in your area. Each of our partnered clinics have gone through extensive training on concussion assessment, management, diagnosis, treatment, and rehabilitation. Uh, they're going to work with you to try and find the root cause of your symptoms and then develop a treatment plan and approach to help get rid of them. If you don't know what's driving the symptoms, you can't ever help or hope to fix them. CompleteConcussions.com slash find a clinic. They have a 98% patient satisfaction rating and have a higher net promoter score than Amazon, Apple, and Netflix. CompleteConcussions.com slash find a clinic. You will not regret it. Thank you for listening to the Complete Concussion Management Podcast. If you like the show, please subscribe and let us know by leaving a review. Have questions about concussion management for future episodes? Submit them to our website, Facebook, or even Instagram. See you next time.